Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. So you know I'm all kinds of excited, and it has nothing to do with Vinnie Adams' red wine at all. I'm your host, DJ, here with the all-star cast, and we got something a little bit special for you. Almost as special as Kevin's shoulders, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about the money man, the crown prince of unpacking, unloading, unramping, unramping. Uh, what's the other one, Nathan? Distilling, mm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All that stuff. What Ontology. <laughs> Party people, put your hands together for my co-conspirator in this joint that made this stuff look like a damn pro. Money, Nathan. <laughs> What's ah! up? <laughs> Man, thank you. Good to be here, guys. How y'all doing? Happy Monday. Doing great. Happy Monday, baby. Couldn't be a whole lot better. Uh, after that, let, let's talk about the man who is trying to look like the dude from Star Wars, man, who's, you know, he's got the headset, got the, the headlights going on, some LEDOGs on the front of that. He's got the shoulders like molders. Uh, and you know what? He came up with some, ama- <laughs> some amazing artwork for Kate Casey. Party people put those hands together for Flarious Kevin. Woo-hoo! I'm sexy. Yeah. Oh, Kevin. Kevin. Um, this lady right here, uh, I'm sorry that you can't see her hair uh, because this lock of auburnness is, is something to behold. Um, use your imagination. Uh, that's all I can say until uh, she decides to uh, give up her top secret job and, and, and come and come clean <laughs> on all this. Put your hands together for our researcher on the show, uh, Deb, at a study of UAPs. Hi. And, and they maybe tried one day. Yeah! <laughs> yes! the, the host of Deb's Data Dojo. Give it up. And, oh, man. Uh, you know, she was prevented from talking about UAPs and having to go to a wedding for 24 hours. And and it, it's almost like, you know, like uh, a band of brothers. You know, she survived the Battle of Bastogne uh, in a manner and, and returned to be able to talk about UAPs. So, we're, hey, what's going on? And look what's up, man. Steph is uh, – no, excuse me. Um, what's our, our homegirl that's in the chat right now? Allison. I got messed up. Hacha Pachama. Pacha Mama. <laughs> I don't even know if I can say that. But uh, now, um, so uh, we were blessed uh, based on uh, Kevin and Deb's uh, introduction uh, to get this young lady to join us. Uh, uh, her name is at UAP Experiencers. And uh, when I spoke with her on the phone, I could see. Uh, why they want to get this girl up in the joint. So our guest co-host tonight, somebody we're taking a hard look at, party Thank people, you. put those hands together for Stephanie at UAP Experiencers. <laughs> Give up some. Get that Cheeto dust Steph. off your hands. Just, yeah. Welcome, Steph. Thank you, DJ. Thank you for that welcome. I couldn't think of a better way to start my Monday. So start my week. This is awesome. Nor so thank we. you. Yeah. Uh, we, are, we are every bit as excited as you are, I assure you. And coming up, Money Man, Kate mm-hmm. Casey, man, I told you guys about her. Uh, and now, you know, it's game time, man. Uh, are we ready? <laughs> I'm definitely Yay. ready, man. All right. Well, she, she's ready. here. Oh, yeah! Yeah. All right. So, okay, guys. All right. This is what I'm talking about right here. This young lady right here. Okay. Uh Chester PA's own, okay, the queen of doc <laughs> of docu series of true crime murder of reality television. Um, she's a mom, and she's a straight up G when it comes to being on on podcasts. You've got to check her out. She's the host of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Party people, put those hands together for Kate Casey. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm into it. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
man Welcome. heart bubble emojis all over the joint, man. Hi. Welcome to the show. Good to see you. Yeah. Welcome back, Kate. Oh man, I tried I should have looked at the date of last time you were on the MMA show when you basically took pity on me and came on that show and made basically the best show I've ever done. Wasn't, you know, no big deal, but yeah, best show I've ever done. So. Oh, that's sweet. I'm yes, glad I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm a little nervous because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to agree with everybody, but I'm happy to be here. We don't agree with everybody either, so it's, it's all no? good. Okay, good. In good, yeah. company. In good company. 100% okay. Yeah, this Not is here to push anything on you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very, very welcoming atmosphere. It's all about the guests feeling uh, loved and appreciated when they leave and what information we get in between when they arrived and when they left. is uh, it's, it's cool, but it's not you know the biggest thing. But having a good time and sharing some ideas and uh, learning together uh, and enjoying it is, is the main goal of, of calling all beings. So uh, real quickly, Kate, since last time you saw me, uh, I, I had uh, heard about uh, Commander David Fravor on Joe Rogan telling about his experience chasing uh, that UFO with his FA-18 along with uh, Lieutenant Commander Alex Dietrich. And um, I talked about it on a subsequent episode to the one that you were on with my co-host. Mm -hmm. And then one day I, I said to them, you know what? I'm not really interested in talking about the UFC anymore and furthering their brand. Uh, I really want to start talking about UFOs. Because, and yeah, I, makes, you care more about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. And also, I didn't like the direction that the UFC was going in terms of how that they were taking care of and and treating the fighters. It wasn't consistent with my values, having uh, kind of grown in the sport for a while, you know, practiced it a bit. You know, I went to shows, covered shows, interviewed fighters and then podcasted, et cetera, for a little over a decade. In any case, I started the UFO show and, and got a really cool guest from Scotland to come on named Andy who's very popular and Nathan that you see at the bottom of your screen there mm -hmm. called in. And when I heard Nathan, uh, the, 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 the sort of the fireworks went off the heart bubble emojis. And I yeah. asked him to, um, to speak with me after the show. And, uh, after doing a couple shows together, um, he created what you see, this professional joint that you see, that's not a podcast, but rather like a live YouTube. And, you know, with all this imaging, he did all that. So awesome. Yeah. Since this audience doesn't know about you, can you just tell us? A, I, I know about you, but could mm -hmm. you please just tell the UFO audience a little bit about who Casey, Casey is? Sure. I consider myself an unscripted television expert. I watch a prodigious amount of unscripted television. So under my show, I cover reality shows, documentaries, and docuseries in every category. Uh, sports, true crime, competition, whatever it is. Uh, and I have episodes three times a week. Uh, Tuesdays, I tell you what to watch each week. And Wednesday and Friday are w with longer form interviews. And then uh, every Monday, I put out a list of what to watch each week. And I give you a list of about seven to eight things that you've got to watch that, that week, which I think saves people a ton of time. So they don't have to look for something to watch because I'm calling from networks and lists, uh, network lists of what to spend your time each week watching. And I receive those emails, and that's how I know what to watch within the bands, uh, you know, the actual platforms that I'm subscribed to. But uh, now, Kate, I'm going to turn you over to the very capable hands of my brother, Nathan. <laughs> okay. Kate, it's great to have you with us. Uh, DJ has uh, been singing your praises, and we've been getting caught up on your content and just really enjoying it. My wife is a huge reality TV fan, oh, good. Uh, so I'm going to kind of steer her towards your stuff as well. Uh, you've got a lot of really interesting material and, and also insight into this kind of space. And one question that I have for you just about this in general is, you know, what do you think is like the secret sauce? Like what makes for compelling reality TV, in your opinion? Well, I think reality TV and docuseries are kind of in two buckets. Reality television, you want a peek into someone else's world. Mm. And so it's like a voyeuristic view at how someone lives in another pocket of the world and how they are complicated people and their complicated friendships or it's a competition show where you're seeing what makes someone tick and uh, how they handle pressure documentaries and docuseries are really a long and short um, view of a topic and it's really for somebody who is a thinker I think mm -hmm. 
I think sometimes reality television viewers are more wanting to be entertained, whereas I think a documentary docu-series viewer is a little bit more cerebral, um, invested in a topic. So I would say that's the difference. However, I would say that in my experience, people that love true crime also love reality shows. People who love documentaries also love reality shows because in, in the end, I think people like real stories, real people. Um, I always kind of think of like, this is us as an example, just because a lot of people like that show. Uh, the, the burden of somebody who loves that show is that those characters eventually die off, like the show ends. And if you're really sucked into a story, you want to know how life goes on. And that's the nice thing about watching a reality show or a documentary is that if you get tied into that story and who that person is and how they tick, the great thing about unscripted is you can continue to follow someone's story well after. And I think on my show, I've showcased that by checking in quite often with a lot of people that have been off the air for a long time and, and hearing how their life continue to change after they open up their lives to cameras, I think is continues to be a really interesting thing. I kind of think of myself as like a cultural anthropologist. Oh, okay. Oh, I like that. Like an ethnographer. Uh, and, and do you think that the, uh, like with the sort of, advent of podcasting and and live streaming on youtube like is the genre kind of changing along with those platforms now i mean it sounds like it is based on you know what you just said there for sure and i think that that networks are far more interested in documentaries now i mean you their numbers are going up and you can see it also in streaming platforms that a short series or a documentary will get a ton of downloads or or views Whereas the burden is on like a cable network. If you have a reality show, I mean, just to get to somebody, have somebody have the patience to watch once a week and wait is, is, is waning. And mm. then if you do have a reality show, they tend to let you binge them all in one sitting. And, and so that's kind of similar to a docu-series, right? Because mm -hmm. in most cases you can watch that docu-series on a platform, a back to back to back if you want. Mm -hmm with the exception of some cable networks that have done docu-series. But I think that when, you know, I think people obsess about stuff. I know I do. And so if I begin watching something, I'm on, you know, my device, Googling things, information. And I think that if you make it binge worthy, people are tend to be more invested and go the long distance versus something on cable where you're just like, oh, I forgot about it because there are other things going on in my life. Right. When you, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was last season or season before, I remember listening to your podcast and hearing you speak about the Real Housewives of Orange County, something that's very close to you because you, you live there. And right. you, the, the words that came out of your mouth were actualized by Bravo. You're basically like, look, I live here. Um, I, these, I don't know. These aren't the women that I know or that I see around or, or hang around. And I really think this show needs a reboot. Do you think that, that the result of that was what happened? Well, no, because I think they didn't really reboot Orange County. They're rebooting New York. So they're um, what they're doing in New York is they're going to do a legacy show with women that have been on the show and then create a whole new show. That is really more of what I've been telling them to do. Orange County, they just added like one or two new people. I, I, you know, mm -hmm. um, That's a partial reboot. Well, Real Housewives is really kind of like Menudo, right? Where it's just like <laughs> they swap people in and out and they're all expendable, even though the, the, the people on the shows don't realize that. But in the end, it's not sustainable if it's not great storytelling. So I think that the shows that have more um, cast changes do better. And I think some of those franchises keep people far too long. I mean, it's like if you go to a dinner party with the same people all the time, you get bored, right? Mm -hmm. You want to like meet new people, have mm -hmm. get a new job, right? Like no one wants to stay in the same job for four years anymore because it's boring. So I think that that's reflective in, in the way that these networks choose shows and how they're operating in a new modern way in 2022 and beyond because it takes a lot to keep people interested. And I don't know if the the strategy which they've had for a show like Real Housewives or The Bachelor really work anymore. It's not really that modern. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was going to ask the Elizabeth Vargas story about the restaurant, but I'm going to save that for later because I got to get my amazing co-host in here. So I'm going to hand you over to our humorist up at the top of your screen, 
Mr. Kevin, Flarius Kevin. Now that's you. <laughs> Hi. Well, it was nice to meet you. you My name's Kevin. Um, I actually had an idea I wanted to pitch to you, but I'm going to do that later on. Oh, so cool. for now, um, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. For now, I actually just had some questions because one of the things I did when I when I um, learned that we were going to have you on, I started watching some of the reality shows. I noticed my wife tunes into New Jersey, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, um, but one of the things I noticed really fast as a as a um a psych major, um, I was diagnosing a lot of people. <laughs> like psychology. Uh, right. I mean, like narcissistic personality yeah. disorders. I'm seeing histrionic. Um, yes. Is is that? Mm-hmm. Is this something that evolves as you're an actor, or is it maybe kind of a requirement to being in front of a camera? Do you have to? I kinda... think it's on the show, but I is I, it? I think that all producers of Real Housewives would say that there's an element of narcissism in each person they cast okay. because normal people would not go. I'm totally okay with ex- exposing my home my spouse, my children, they live in perpetuity, perpetuity, right right? on TV. Like your kid is in the fifth grade for the rest of their life. People are going to reflect on the bratty behavior they had in the fifth grade. One, a normal person would go, okay, in the long term, this is probably not great for my family. So I'm going to say no, but there has to be an element of narcissism for someone to go. Yeah, I'm okay with that because I will be, you know, the star of my own show. Also, it's kind of an interesting element because you sometimes have someone who, and this is not just for Real Housewives, I I say this for The Bachelor and other shows too, they have this sudden success and they're sort of stuck in the age that they became successful. And uh, I also think that um, the brain chemistry changes once they become famous. And what I often hear from people, especially those that were on shows a long time ago, is like, you're famous, but you're not successful right? Because people know who you are. But if you're not on the show anymore, you certainly don't make any income. And you don't necessarily make a lot of income being on a reality show. So if you're on The Bachelor, you're on one season, maybe you go to Bachelor in Paradise, but it's hard to sustain that you can be an Instagram influencer, but the money that you get from you know the show doesn't last that long. So I think it changes someone's um, brain chemistry. I think it's a, a really dangerous choice to make to do it. But there are very, have been some people that have been very successful doing so. And I think it's because they go in with a game plan. They think to themselves, if this doesn't work out, what is my backup plan? And also, how I'm going to, how will I use this to my advantage? Hmm. So you have somebody from Real Housewives of New York named Bethany Frankel, who ended up selling a, a hugely successful alcohol business, and it's launched other businesses because of it. But mostly, it's a lot of people that, may have just been like in the housewives, like a stay at home mom, maybe they have never had a job. And so suddenly they have income and they're emboldened by this, you know, having their own income and having a little bit of independence. And then it's gone because they're, you know, replaced by somebody. And I think it's a real head trip for people. Yeah. That you must be a huge them. letdown also. If, you know, if, if you're oh, yeah. let, let out, you know, I guess fired, is that how it works? And, Oh yeah, because you may end up the same person who thought I'm so interesting and important that I should be on a television show is suddenly told you're not that interesting or exciting to be on a television show. So some of them will say to me in interviews, um, and one in particular, a housewife told me, I became my new addiction became my addiction to fame, and so I thought my entire life was over when I was no longer on the show. And a lot of them, if they go off on the shows, they off the show they'll. Um, unfollow a lot of people on social media. They, they want to completely separate themselves from that life because it's too painful to see others celebrating being a television personality. Yeah, I yelled out Jill Zarin, but that was probably inappropriate. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't Jill Zarin. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, right now, uh, so by the way, you know, we just to give you a little background on our show, you know, Kevin. Uh, works with children from a, a mental health perspective, as mm-hmm. does uh, the next person we're going to turn you over to. Our show researcher, Deb, also works with uh, counsels children and adults. Uh, Steph, Steph, I'm going to let you classify so I don't mess this up. Steph, 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 she might be on mute. 
All right, Nathan. <laughs> Nathan uh, works at a law firm, but he has a master's in divinity. And I'm oh, okay. Yeah, I'm me. I, I'm not sure what I am, but you already know. Uh, I'm Kate. I I would be Kate Casey's coffee getter uh, for her next project. That's you're an amazing person. That's what I would say. Yeah, that's. Oh, thank you, thank you, buddy. Anyway, uh, Deb, you're going to take that right angle turn towards the, the phenomenon. Okay, so I I know that you um made a decision to do a little bit of research before coming in to talk UFOs. And I was just wondering from that research perspective, um, what you came away with, like what you came to this thinking about. Well, you know, I'm, I had this real conversation with myself. Like, uh, I, I, I still don't believe in, I don't believe that the, the the flying saucers and the other unidentifiable objects are from another world or planet, but I'm like, I'm still the same person who believes that my loved ones that have passed away can connect with me. So I've been wrestling with that. Like, how do I believe that? But I don't believe that. And I think it's because I feel like the messages that I get from loved ones are more specific. And with the, um, UAPs, it, I just feel like there's not enough data mm -hmm. that it, I'm having a hard time making a clear decision. I think that strange things happen, but I don't know if I have enough data that proves to me that there's an absolute. And I think I also process things like if there were otherworldly beings and then they were spying on us, would they go and use man-made materials? Would they, wouldn't, wouldn't they be spying in a more discreet way? And why are they always over barren areas? And then also after living in a military town for some time, knowing that our military is extremely sophisticated. I don't know about other countries, I'm assuming as well, that there are things that they're working on that are so far advanced that it would make sense to me that someone in 1952 or 1997 or 2012 may see something that is made by our military or even another military or even a private citizen with an enormous amount of money that they could perceive as something that is a UAP, but is in fact, you know, like a, almost like a sophisticated drone. So that's what I'm wrestling with is like, why I can't fully believe in it. I think it's because of the, I don't see that enough, enough data. And then I, the last part of it is I, I worry too, that maybe the media has um, spun certainly like in the fifties and sixties have spun certain uh, view or um, witnesses stories to, to fit a narrative. Like it seems like Kenneth Arnold was the one that mentioned the saucers and that the media may have run with it and then twisted some stories to make them a little bit more embellished. So those are the things that I'm wrestling with. I wouldn't say I have an absolute view. I would still say I don't have enough data. I just want to say one thing before Deb responds. You, we may all be in agreement with you. We don't know that they're from outer space. But that also doesn't mean that they're human made. So that that just chew yeah. on that for a second. Deb. Yeah, actually, I was reading Keel this weekend and that was like one of the first things he pointed out that even back in the 50s people were saying maybe not from outer space and the media jumped on that and apparently there were stories before Kenneth Arnold about saucers so there's a whole bunch that you know we question but I guess I wanted to just let you know that despite having personal experiences with this I too kind of started doing my research from that point of view um, yeah. And I, w I just wanted to offer that comfort that, you know, I too is like, well, we must have made these, but I did go down uh, the research path and there's plenty, <laughs> plenty if you want to find it. <laughs> Another thing that I, I'm wrestling with is like, I absolutely believe that Amelia Earhart crashed her plane and that she was likely died in a Japanese internment camp. And I believe the government covered that up. So if I believe that, why can't I believe that the government would cover other things up? Well, I'll just, I'll just jump in there and say one of the things is that from an aviation perspective, which is what my background is, is when you see something flying, there are certain 
um, certain standards that need to be met. You know, you have to have a wing surface that creates lift. There, uh, all of the craft that we fly have to interact with the air in some way in order to propulse, create lift. We have to have ailerons, rudders, uh, elevators, all these sorts of control surfaces. And when you see something, and when these aviators are seeing something like the Navy guys, that's a craft, but it doesn't have any of that. And there's no heat signature. So anything that, uh, that, that offers propulsion that we know of has a thermodynamic signature. Even a battery in a, in, a, in a drone will get hot, just like a battery in your laptop or your flashlight or anything. And when you're seeing something that has no signature, it has no wings, and it just moves at right angles like that. We don't have anything that can, we don't know how to do that as of yet. And the, Penner, the former uh, director of the Pentagon program, Lou Elizondo, says that. He says, I was read into, I know basically what we have, and we don't have anything that does that. So that's, that's I'll just leave you with that, but I want to pass yeah, it over. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that that's the disadvantage of someone who doesn't have aviation experience is that uh, I wouldn't understand those nuances. Now, my babysitter's husband today showed me this video uh, in over Israel. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he, he's, he said, this is the clear example of it. And even in that case, I thought, well, that looks like two, two modes of transportation that, that, you know, hit each other, causing an explosion. But did you see that and think, that's moving too fast in a strange angle that I can't understand what vehicle would do that. That's the point. That's the point is because I know what I know. I know how drones operate and how they fly. I know how rotary wing aircraft like helicopter, how they op operate and how they fly. Uh, and of course, fixed wing aircraft. And uh, mm -hmm. these don't fit those categories. And that those are the ones that when we hear those accounts from credible sources that, that blow our minds, but um, I don't want to hog up all this. So I want to turn you over to. So if this were a one percent uh, motorcycle gang here, that person at the bottom <laughs> of the screen wearing the the prospect vest that only has the bottom rocker, she's waiting for that top rocker. Is is the lovely Miss Stephanie? I came prepared. Thank you. And you know, I agree with you, Kate. Also, I think a healthy mind would speculate. And even having been an experiencer myself. I question what I had seen because it's so out of this world. It, it really, yeah. truly does make you question yourself. So I agree with you, especially if you haven't seen anything or if you have a family member maybe down the line that might come forward after hearing about you on this conversation with us. You know, they might they might start coming out of the woodwork. Well, that's what my babysitter's husband said. Uh, yeah. Renee, he said, I just feel like you have to experience it to really, because he said that he has experienced it. Um, and the other thing I was going to say about phenomenon is that I think they make a mistake. It sounded like Robert Stack was the narrator. Am I wrong? No, he wasn't. He, he wasn't alive when they made this. This was in well, 2020. It almost sounds like him. And for that, I thought, well, that that makes it harder for a skeptic because it sounds like an episode of Unsolved. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Show. You know what I mean? I was like, I think they went, they should have had like Colin Powell or somebody, you know, narrating. <laughs> then he'd be like, all right. Well, His hourly like rate. Come on, Kate. Who's going to afford Colin Powell, man? We forced our general pay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I they, they needed to have a better narrator. And also some of the stories, like, I think they had too much filler where I was like, like the teacher from Australia and the, they showed the, the students and they just look like, you know, simple minded people in like rural Australia and then the, the teacher even though this happened 50 years ago he's not brave enough to show his face and he says you know these people they knocked on my door and they told me like you're gonna lose your job it's like well you're probably retired now <laughs> so like show your face exactly. so I think if I were the director I I wouldn't have left that stuff in because I think that it's hard for somebody who's already skeptical to stay stay the course mm -hmm. for some of those scenes mm-hmm mm-hmm I think what you need are people that are high level, like educated, high level in the military. Those, mm -hmm. I think, were the far more interesting um, and compelling um, experts. Right. But I thought, like, in 1950, this, like, housewife and her husband were, like, on their farm in Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, if I'm a member of a foreign military with some advanced technology, I'm going to go to the farm in Oklahoma. I'm not going to fly over, like, Dodger Stadium because, 
you know, you want to be on the DL a little bit. Like, yeah, of course. There actually was a very prolific incident in L.A., by the way. But, uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to take up Stephanie's time. Did you have anything oh. else you're ready to pass to Nathan? Yeah, well, and it is more validating also when it comes from that credible source where you go, okay, you have the military. They have flare equipment. They have night vision. They have all of the cameras that can actually capture something. So in order for the public to grasp this, you know, situation that might be happening here, sure, I would go to them as well. And, you know, DJ, he came from an aviation background. My family owned and operated an aerospace machine shop in Gardena, California from oh. night. Yeah, 1945. To, we closed up shop in 2002. But at a very young age, I could tell the difference between an airplane helicopter, a DC-10, a stealth bomber, you name it. So um, I am a, I'm an experiencer. And an experiencer is essentially someone who has uh, witnessed a UAP or some type of phenomena. So um, yeah, and that's exactly what that person would be if they would have seen something. So at a young age, I didn't know what the heck I was looking at initially, but we knew that all four of us in the car knew, coming from an aerospace background, that what we were being essentially followed by was not a helicopter or an airplane. So that's where you know you kind of start to question things when you become an adult and you you start to think about, well, what what actually happened to us at that time? All of these events are starting to add up and, you know, other people are beginning to, you know, accept this in some some sense. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, you really start to want to talk about it as you, you know, get older. You're going, I have nothing to lose. Like, show my face. I, I could care less. You know, let's let's figure out what this is that's penetrating our airspace because it one, it could be, you know, a potential threat. And, you know, we don't know what it is. So we're, we're trying to figure it out all together. And then on top of it, you know, let's let's tell some stories from some experiencers. So that's pretty much what I do. I I have experiencers come forth to me. They, you know, describe the whole five observables and they, you know, I go through a process to try and like figure out, you know, what is you know, something that I believe should be shared. You know, I don't know if they've been, you know, on any type of uh, thing that would alter their mind, if you will. So, because you know, there's a lot of that also. So, you know, but there's also a lot of credible civilian accounts that have come forth and mm -hmm. it's just extremely fascinating. So I'm not here to push anything on you. I don't want to try to make you, you know, the other thing, away, that, but the yeah. other thing I wonder is that if, 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 if they were from another world yeah, and they've come yeah. to view us, I mean, history has shown us that the, the more advanced civilization takes over the other, right? Well, so if they have advanced um, technologies to come and to use something like uh, like a UFO or UAP, yep. wouldn't they ultimately come to dominate us? And if so, why haven't they done so yet? From a human perspective. Mm -hmm. So when, when you look at it like a human, but if we're talking about a non-human intelligence, then we can't know what they would do. Just like I don't know what you're going to do tonight when you get off air. I don't I certainly don't know what another intelligence's intention is or their goal is. Yeah, but they could be observing us. I mean, that's that's what I believe that they're 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 observing us. They're curious about us. And, you know, what are their intentions not, not too sure. You know, I've, I've heard of radiation, um, coming from the craft. I don't know necessarily if that would be some form of a weapon or that could, that could be their way of beaming back up to wherever they came from. You know, that might not be an intentional thing that they're doing. So that's something, that's something to be understood. That's for sure. Yeah. Let me pass, let me pass over to money, Nathan. Yeah, I think uh, everything that you've talked about is, um, I mean, it should be applauded, quite frankly. And we, you know, I think we need to throw every question that we can at whatever this happens to be, because at the end of the day, it's either going to stick or it's not, right? That we're going to answer those questions or not. Um, I found it interesting, you know, you did talk a little bit about you've got more experience with kind of the paranormal sort right. of side of things. Um, and I don't know if you, you know, one, if you'd be comfortable talking about that, but two, do you also have any friends who've had experiences that might kind of 
be more in the paranormal camp or yeah i think that's another great point to make is that i've had far more friends that have experienced um a paranormal or an experience with a medium where they got a message from a loved one that passed and that's probably why I'm, i believe more in that i yeah. have never i mean i have a, a very large friend group that are in the military many that are pilots mm -hmm. And none of them have had one of those experiences. So I think that that's part of the reason I'm so on the other side. Um, perhaps mm -hmm. it would be different if I had friends that shared their story. I, I just want to say, just uh, jump in real quick. I have 4,000 hours of military flying, and I have zero experiences of seeing UFO. However, I did have one when I was 14. During the Hudson Valley craze, of which there's been... The Hudson Valley sightings, there's probably been three or four books written about that. Wow. None in the military, though. However, I did head out to Albuquerque to Kirtland Air Force Base. I met up with one of my colleagues who's also retired like myself. He works with satellites now. And I said, dude, I know you can't tell me what you see now or what you know now because you won't and you can't. But did you ever see anything while flying? And he said, yes. He saw like what you saw in that Tel Aviv. He saw a craft come down in the middle of their windscreen and then make a right angle turn and zoom off. And he and the pilot were just like WTF kind of. I wish, I wish that more um, older pilots, you know, came forward because it does seem like that there is a theme where people are terrified that if they come forward, they're going to be seen as unwell. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Either unwell or a liar. So mm -hmm. I think if more came forward, I mean, if you only have a handful, you could certainly make that assessment and people would, would jump on that assessment. But if there are a collective group and more and more come forward, it's harder to dismiss a large group of people that seem to have a similar experience. Well, Nathan, the uh, National Press Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah, I mean, there is quite a bit of uh, historical evidence and, you know, Deb would literally be able to bury you in a mountain of it. She's done a lot of research in uh, sort of different uh, FOIA libraries, at, you know, sort of different branches of the military. There are a lot of reports through, uh, you know, through the history of different sightings. Uh, from very credible uh, trained observers, pilots, and other military personnel, police officers. There's a lot of stuff that, that's out there. Um, I think that, you know, where I would be interested from this topic really is kind of, again, coming back to the paranormal side of it, it, it really speaks to the nature of like, what is, what is our reality? You know, like what, what, what is the limit of our knowledge? Like what is the, uh, what is beyond our current understanding of what, you know, we know to be true in our science. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be that there is kind of, as we would rationally accept, there is more that we don't know than we do know about the universe in which we live. And that mystery, I think, leaves a lot of open-ended questions. It means we should continue searching and trying to find those answers and throw everything we can at it from a scientific perspective. Um, I'm of the opinion that consciousness plays a big part of the in, in this, that, it, that consciousness actually connects not only the paranormal side of it, but also the UFO side of it, because everything occurs in perception. Everything occurs in our conscious perception of reality. And so the, there are folks that, uh, you know, for example, that are have our physicists, you know, now are looking at it from a from from a quantum mechanics standpoint and saying, look, there really is no sort of material reality. There's no physical kind of object. Everything is. Uh, really there when it is observed. So that says something about the, the role of the observer in, in what we know to be real. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I'm not just, that sounds kind of crazy and, you know, woo or whatever, but it literally is what a lot of our physicists are saying that, that you know, this spooky action at a di distance or whatever, this quantum entanglement, it is something that becomes more real when it is observed. The double slit experiment is a good example of this. So, I think the mystery or the secrets or the answers really kind of lie in that direction that we have to sort of keep chasing that and figure out, you know, what is at base reality and can we even experience that? You know, we all know we only can see a certain sliver of the spectrum of light. We can only, you know, taste and smell certain, you know, sort of things. So what is it that is beyond that and what can we directly experience and, and know? 
Well, also interesting because you said that you have a master's in divinity. That's right. So, I mean, a lot of us have some iota of faith, right? Exactly. And, and for most people, if we repeated some of the stories that we listen to in our synagogues or our mosques or chapels, they'd go, you're out of your mind, right? <laughs> That's right. But we have this like little sliver of faith and hope that there's part of that story that's been carried on for centuries that it's based on something that happened. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I, I'm, I'm like, uh, and I also believe that those that have passed on from my life still are around me. So it's interesting that this is the last, like in this layer of it, I'm like, Oh, I need to see some more proof right. because in so many other aspects, I'm like, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Um, that makes know, sense. I, yeah, I think it's just, a, I think it's a good thing to challenge oneself with all the time. And like, totally. how much do you really know about what is around you? And that may include, you know, beings from other places, other outside of the earth. Certainly the earth is a very small part of the entire, entire universe. So right. um, it's just, uh, it's an interesting and it's a good question to ask. Yeah, well, just before I turn it over to another panelist here. So, uh, you know, being a reality TV fan and just observing the world that we live in right now, where we can't agree on pretty much anything, you know, yeah. what do you think will help us as a society come to a place where we can look at evidence and information and kind of come to a similar conclusion? What kinds of, you know, sort of specialists or authorities have to kind of stand up and say, hey, we we all think it's X and, and for the public to go, okay, yeah, like we, we believe you. I mean, it, to me, it would seem to have to come from a lot of different sort of voices of authority from both parties uh, and from different you know, celebrities and artists and everybody. Yeah. I think it has to be a number of people from all different corners of the world. I think that that's, you know, it's like if you go to a dinner party and everybody there is telling you, oh my gosh, that's a great show. Like, I don't know why you even watched it. It's amazing. Or mm. Uh, whatever it may be, like a sports team or something. There's something as humans that when there's a consensus from different groups of people from different places, we tend to be more inclined to listen to it or believe it. So I would say I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Yeah. That's why we call him Money Nathan. Uh, but now we have to turn you over to our humorous, uh, flarious Kevin, also known as Kev. Yeah, look at him, baby. Hi, well, Casey, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I got this pitch for you. So, you know, I, I was thinking about putting together a reality TV show, but, you know, I'm into UFOs. So I, I like kind of made this mashup of UFOs and reality TV and I put a trailer together and I wanted to oh. show it to you. Would you be okay. interested in watching it yep. and maybe giving some feedback on it? You know, well, you should cool. create a show UFO chasers. <laughs> this oh, is oh. the executive producer I would want yeah, to work is. with right here, Kate Casey. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. What's up? Right there. Yeah. So that's why right. I want your you know, G, advice. Okay. Excellent. Well, here we go, Kevin. We're gonna put it up. All right. So yeah, Joe. Each wife, for security purposes, is assigned a color. <laughs> Because, you know, as you know, each employee can only walk down a specific colored line according to uh, the building that they work in. So take the uh, red wife, for example, Joe. Her husband may or may not work in shipping and receiving at the hybrid exchange facility. You know, I can't actually talk about whether green wife's origins are otherworldly or not because I'm, I'm under an NDA. <laughs> you know, I can't actually talk about whether green wife's origins are otherworldly or not. Like, is this supposed to make people believe? Because it seems like you're horrific. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my god, should I be worried about you? <laughs> 
perfect for any. <laughs> <laughs> Dad took the area fifty-one, not the area fifty-one. I'm like, who's dad? So weird. Isn't that weird? Cool. Kate, Kate, can you? I mean, I feel like you are going to be the next great executive producer in reality TV. Can you work with that material? Uh, no, not unless we redo it. But, oh, oh, but uh, I mean, there's too much. There's too much in the screen. I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? Maybe if we call it down, we could take mm-hmm. a place. The okay. Real housewife. Take a hatchet to it. I'd like oh. to see like the farmer okay. in Oklahoma hang out with like the teacher in Australia. Like they need to all get together and then yeah. film that. <laughs> the hybrid idea, children. Yeah. What was that? Uh, Trents? What was that? Their name? I have no idea, but I, I hope you know I, I was joking with, with that whole trailer thing. Yeah, the whole thing, it's a joke. Yeah, the, no, there, is, there is a humorous component to the show. We're not all serious, uh, which Deb's about to get here in a second. But one of the things, just to give you a reason, one of the reasons that people put that photo up about the, the farm in Oklahoma, the reason for that is because today you there are a proliferation of fakers that are able to digitally uh, interact and mess with photos. And when yeah. you have a photo where you can have someone who can look at a photo and say, yeah, I can basically date this photo at 1940 or 50 something, and it's not been altered. Well, then that that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. So that that's kind of why that photo resonates with certain people. So Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Deb, let's take it serious now, man. The sine wave, we've gone up with some Kevin. We got to take it back. The roller coasters headed back down now. Yeah, I guess I just um, wanted to ask if you had any questions for us on the phenomenon, um, since we've done a lot of research and spoken to a lot of people, and I'll do my best to help answer that if you have one. I would just probably ask, who do you think today is the most compelling source on UAPs? Okay, I think at this point in time, the bipartisan involvement of Congress Mm-hmm. who's of course gotten some documents the rest of the public has not gotten and seems pretty adamant about getting that law passed regarding the ufo phenomenon um which of course they called uaps and there's a whole lot going on with the intel community for that also but just the fact that it's a bipartisan issue is pretty compelling to me mm-hmm. okay the ndaa is extremely specific about how to collect um, I've also seen, uh, certain things through sources that I have, I've seen video and I've seen photos of what they described in the Tic Tac videos. So I've seen those and I've seen some of the guidance out there on how to collect, uh, things that read something like stop training, uh, unless, and then start to use all systems available to collect on, on what this is. And also, and Deb and Nathan, I think, can probably back me up on this. There was something like 144 incidents uh, that they and they could only identify like two of them. Am I right, guys? Um, actually, I think that was within the time frame from the beginning from the task force looking at it up until they wrote the report. And since then, there were many more that were mentioned by the director of NASA. Okay. So there's 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 quite a few. There's a lot of uh, image satellite imagery that we're never going to get because of the resolution uh, that they're able to see things on the Earth. They obviously you wouldn't want to share that with uh, global power competition nations like Russia or China or. Probably uh, so, not. Yeah. Yeah. Can I so, can can I also add, and this ties right. into something that you said earlier. I think the fact. That they were discouraging these pilots from reporting anything at all is the one of the most bizarre factors in this. The well, fact I that- also think that part of that could be they don't want our own country in America. They don't want Americans to to be concerned that other countries are more advanced than we are. But they, I think that they would have been a detriment to Intel. Like, so I think that they wouldn't have gotten information they would have needed. And especially when the armed forces. Pride supersedes uh, 
pride often supersedes uh, pragmatism when it comes to certain governments. I think you're you're on the right track, but you're slightly you're slightly off. They don't want us to think that there's anything out there. When you talked about what the U.S. Air Force's mission is, air superiority over the United States, absolute yeah. dominance over our airspace. That's not the United States Navy's mission. That's not the United States Marine Corps' mission, et cetera, et cetera. So they wouldn't want, want you to think the American public to lose confidence that we didn't have that. What the, the, I sent you a video from Lou Elizondo when he interviewed with GQ in the UK several months ago. And when they posed that question to him, he answered that question that you have. And he says, well, in the 40s and 50s, when China was absolutely flat broke and had no technology and people were report there were they have reports of very similar objects. Same thing with post-war Russia. Uh, and that's why that they, they think you think that back in the 40s and 50s that the Russians and the Chinese were producing craft that are at the level that we're reporting, no less now. So that's that's what his response is to that that question. Huh. Interesting. And yeah. let's watch that video. It's very the. It's only twenty eight minutes. That GQ UK video with Lu- Luis Elizondo. He's the former director of the program for the Pentagon. GS fifteen. Yeah, I was. I was just going to say also that this is something that gets reported all over the world and has for a very long time. So it's fascinating to me that we would ever tell our armed forces not to report something that could be a risk to us, especially over military sites. That was so bizarre to me. <laughs> well, your 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 lifeline is I don't want to I don't want to be taken off the flying schedule. So for me personally, even though I believed in this, even when I was active duty and flying, I was not gonna. Well, first of all, I didn't see anything to report, but I wasn't even gonna engage with discussions with my fellow aviators about it because they might go to the director of operations. Right. And DJ's like talking UFOs, man. Like you might, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, DJ, in the 1500 pages that were just disclosed, I heard that the uh, the shapes of the UAP were redacted. So that kind of goes coincides with what you guys are talking about. And that's that's very sus. Just saying they don't want to show us the shapes. Yeah, they Why? don't want to uh, talk about uh, what the different shapes of the craft are. Yeah. Um, so you can read into that what you want. I heard Luis Elizondo has another good take on that but again he's an intel guy and i'm not so yeah yep so uh but steph you got it do you have another do you have anything else kate you want to ask or you want to let uh, steph ask you a question sure she can ask me a question okay well you mentioned that you have some friends that have you know experienced the phenomenon whether it be i'm a, i presume a light being a shadow figure some sort of a ghost or maybe they heard something now, have any of them come forth and said that they've ever witnessed a UAP? Because what I'm noticing within the community, no. Well, maybe ask them again, because a lot of people will hold back because of the stigma. I'm finding that there is a connection from yeah, people. You know, I yeah. think this is a great question. I want to post this in my Facebook group for my show. I'm eager to hear what people people say, because I yeah. feel like I've created a, a, a community where they would feel... Um, comfortable enough to say something to me oh absolutely i mean i would feel comfortable asking you any question so i mean that, that's awesome that you have that platform for for people to come forth and you know ask these kind of out there questions for a lot of people but you know for this community it's pretty it's pretty normal if you will but um i am finding a connection from people that are coming to me that they've witnessed uap and then following they've witnessed the phenomenon at like some sort of a ghost figure. And I was not even aware of that when I came into this, I'm just noticing a pattern and uh, it's only, it's a small handful, I would say of people, but it's, it's not every single one, but there's some sort of a connection from what I'm gathering. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, It is interesting. It's bizarre. And by the way, before I pass it on to Nathan, I do want to let you know we are having two PhDs on within the next couple of months. We're having Dr. Michael Masters on, who's very much uh, into the uh, the time travel notion as to how they're getting here. And then we're having Dr. Gary Nolan, who is part of this sort of invisible college of UAP researchers that are – how would you describe them, Nathan, the, the, the invisible – 
Yeah, so the this term, the invisible college, has been used to describe uh, academics who have been studying this in secret, basically. Uh -huh. they've, they've not been willing to be public about their interest in it, uh, but they, they kind of know each other. Some of them know each other because of, uh, you know, mutual interest and whatnot. Um, and the argument, I guess, recently has been that a lot of these folks who've been in that, you know, group have been sort of stepping out of the shadows and becoming you know, much more public in the fact that they are studying this. So Dr. Gary Nolan, for example, is um, one of the more recent uh, sort of people that have really stepped into the public spotlight. He's a Stanford, uh, Deb, you may know, biologist or geneticist. He's a, he was like, Wild. he was a Nobel like uh, contender yeah. at some point for the work that he's done. So he's a very well-known, uh, he's got an entire department named after him in, in Stanford. Um, he studies like <laughs> the connection between like, uh, the brain, like, uh, I guess like uh, impacts on, on brain physiology, uh, in relation to people who have claimed to have been in close proximity to a UAP. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the interesting stuff that is happening in, in the kind of the scientific communities there. You're probably wondering why he's coming on. We're wondering the same thing, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> No, he, he's he's very into the topic. And if you want, if you're interested in like a book that I think would to use one of Nathan's trams that might be a good on ramp for you. We had a uh, I as a present to Nathan, I try I tried really hard to get this lady named Dr. Diana Pasolka. She teaches at UNC Charlotte uh, and she did some research. She is a uh, Nathan. Wojcik, she has a doctorate in Catholic studies. Yeah, exactly. she's a professor of uh, religion uh, and philosophy um, background, and you know she's a Catholic, uh, raised a Catholic, and I think is still a practicing Catholic. Uh, but she wrote a great book called American Cosmic. This came out a, a few years ago, uh, just kind of chronicling her study of this and uh, her kind of, in a way, falling down a little bit of the rabbit hole with some of these academics uh, who have studied this. Uh, she went to the Vatican, looked at the Vatican archives, uh, a lot of material there, just really interesting read. Um, and I think we'll be hearing more from her in the next, uh, you know, few months and years. She's working on a new book that looks at uh, kind of the uh, the topic of synchronicity, like in creativity and all that kind of stuff. So and, okay. it, and its connection to, to this topic. Actually, she she revealed something, Nathan, recently about her uh, the place in the New Mexican desert that she was taken to see actual material she revealed that she was the one that actually knew of that spot and took them, which is 180 degrees from the book. Am I correct? Yeah. There, well, there was something, um, there's, this, there's apparently this place uh, in the New Mexico desert that has been deemed the Secret. gifting field. I don't know who called it that. Uh, but in the book, she describes how she and this uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, who she named in the book, she names him pseudonymously. We didn't even know who he was until, um, a few months ago. Um, but she and Gary went to this, like they, I think they were blindfolded, I, I believe mm -hmm. taken, taken mm -hmm. out there because mm -hmm. uh, they didn't want to disclose the specific location. They found some sort of metal or whatnot or objects and they had them studied in a lab and those studies are still ongoing. So I mean, it's an interesting story. Um, I think it's a great book, really fascinating, good kind of summary of this topic. And, uh, and she takes a, a, her view on this uh, in the in American Cosmic really looks at this from the from the from the sort of standpoint of how uh, this topic of UFOs in a way is almost like spawning a new kind of religiosity or religious you know sort of mm -hmm. in interest. Um, okay. But there's also this intersection between you know kind of technology and and if you look at our, our our religious history in the world, you know our religious traditions all have, as you said earlier, have this strange. You know, kind of connection between uh, you know weird things that happen in the sky, and uh, you know, and things that are written about those experiences. So, in in our histories, we call them you know angels and you know and God. But you know, it could be that these are not that at all. But you know, maybe it's the same type of phenomenon that that we see in the UFO uh, in, in uh, the UFO phenomenon. Mm. Anyway, yeah, that was okay. a long explanation. <laughs> 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 well, we, we're about we're about at the point that uh that we have to wrap it up and uh get kate out of here so 
she can go and uh, relieve her eldest child of the responsibility of, of <laughs> containing everybody. Um, right. I will say this um, as my last part, and then I'm going to you know, hand it over to the other cabbies and yourself for any last comments, and also to talk about everything that you're doing, because uh, I admire you. And obviously, you know that. I admire you normally, no, enormously as an interviewer uh, and an intellect in, in our space, meaning podcasting. And somebody that, uh, regardless of how much, how many TV reality TV shows I don't watch anymore, I'm still going to be listening to you, <laughs> regardless. So. Oh, I hope so. Thank you. The Brian Boylan interview was like you said. I, he is like I. He's gold. He's he's like having Kate Casey on. Um, but what I was going to say, you know, uh, regarding consciousness that Nathan brought up, and when I listen to people like Nathan and others. Uh, that are in this space that if you pursue it any further, you'll get to know some of these names when they start talking about consciousness, something that's a little bit of a mystery to us. Is it your spirit? Like when you die that, you know, a lot of us believe that when the body passes that that consciousness goes somewhere else and it, but it lives, it, it doesn't die with the body. When you talk about UAPs, like what they saw on the Princeton, uh, and uh, the aircraft carrier. I don't know if anybody can help me with the name of that aircraft, the Nimitz case. Oh, oh wait, so, the Nimitz? The, Nim the Nimitz uh, no, was... Th when I lived in Virginia Beach, my friend worked on the Nimitz. Oh, nice. Well, it, what, what's interesting is the Roosevelt, when they were training in Virginia Beach, there's a pilot named Ryan Graves that, that had a number of sightings. Basically, he said every day for over a year. They were seeing uh, different types of orbs. That's that one where they say, oh, it's rotating. You know where you see that, where they're, they're looking at something that looks like a saucer, and then it just does one of these numbers. And we don't have aircraft that could do that, uh, the, without wings anyway. Uh, the gimbal video, thank you, Debs. <laughs> but what I was going to tell you is I also agree with, with Nathan and the others that consciousness is sort of this link that binds together uh, the spiritual world that we would call ghosts. Uh, uh, a lot of people believe uh, out at Skinwalker Ranch, some of the entities out there, and UAP. But one thing that's existential is when the Nimitz is able to paint this on a phased array radar and clock it moving at certain speeds, moving from 28,000 feet to 50 feet in less than one second. I mean, that's not consciousness. Right there. That's. Gonna, I have to ask them about that because I do know people that were on the Nimitz. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you can you can listen to accounts of the radar operator himself, Kevin Day. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but not only do pilots and whizzos go to school, but radar operators also go to Top Gun school. Kevin Day from the Nimitz was one of those, and he clocked that object for seven days prior to ordering them to intercept that object. The second thing I want to tell you is that the aircraft radar itself, uh, there's a different type of radar that's not a phased array radar like what the Nimitz has. It's a mm -hmm. high RF, high energy radar. And when they got behind that Tic Tac and that radar illuminated that target, it jammed it. And that, again, that's not consciousness right there. That is actual jamming. They're looking on their radar scope and they're, they're getting signals that, hey, we're being jammed by this thing. So that's real. Uh, and when a whizzo and a pilot tell you that, I mean, uh, because the amount of energy that comes off of one of these targeting radars, and I stood in front of one, and I don't know if that's why I'm bald now or not, but uh, uh, you you do feel like you just got hit by, you feel very warm and you feel very sick because I accidentally walked in front of one testing on the ground. So I just that's I just want to leave you uh, with the, those two different radars. Uh, painting that and that's not including the e2 hawkeye that painted those objects as well so okay all right uh everybody say goodbye to kk so <laughs> she can go relieve her eldest child okay it's great to have you on and uh with kids of my own i totally understand so hopefully the house is still standing um <laughs> you know i have five five so that's you know. incredible just incredible it's so quiet okay. there how is that possible uh, i've got five as well <laughs> yeah. What are their ages? Well, my oldest is twenty-three. Uh, so it's yeah. yeah I'm forty-three. <look at you living yeah. the dream. Okay. <laughs> um, 
23, 19, I've got a 21-year-old. Um, then I went down a few generations. Then I've got a, I've got a 10-year-old and a, gosh, 14-year-old teenager now. 13. <laughs> yeah. Eat a spreadsheet, Kevin. You have that many. It's like, yeah. It's 13. Deb, what ages you got, girlfriend? <laughs> Deb, Deb, are you on mute? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm at uh, 21... 19, 16, and 14, about to be 15. Awesome. There's money. There's bumpy times ahead in teenage years. Yeah, <laughs> 14 and 12 for me. So. Oh, there you go. Got an 8-year-old fur baby. That's all. <laughs> That's all. But, yeah. Well, good. Yeah, it was that... awesome having you on, too. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks for exercising the idea and opening your mind to the conversation. That's, I will, I'm that's awesome. I'm going to come back to you what I find out. I'm going to ask yeah. you. What, yeah. You're going to come back, Kate? This isn't the last time? Yeah, I'll come back. I'll tell you what people say. Yes. Kate, Yay. tell us, tell everybody where they can find you. The UFO community needs to know this because you're just... I mean, the Trinity University's own, the White House's own, <laughs> Kate Casey. Uh, wait a minute. Field hockey player and was it lacrosse? What was lacrosse. the other? And lacrosse, what's up, man? Trinity University, baby. Well, I call it Trinity College, but Trinity College. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, up? you can find me whenever, wherever you listen to podcasts. Reality Life with Kate Casey. My must-watch list is at katecasey.substack.com or on my socials. Uh, Facebook group is Reality Life with Kate Casey. Instagram's at katecasey.ca. And TikTok, it's Kate Casey. And I've got Patreon bonus episodes at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash Kate Casey. That's awesome. Yeah. And we're going to put your link tree in the description. So oh, cool. Can... Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Going to be in there, man. Party people put those hands together for Money Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> for Thank Flaris, you, everybody. For Deb, for Kate Casey, and yeah. for our prospect, Stephanie. This is DJ saying peace out, one love. We'll Thank see you. you down the road. We always wondering what's up around that bed. Peace. <laughs>